close encounters of the third kind. Actual contact. To me, it looks like a leprechaun to me. All I gotta do is look up in the tree. Who else in the leprechaun say yeah? yeah! The Sasquatch was approximately eight to ten feet tall. It looked very human-like, but it definitely wasn't a human. After seven years of research, I am more convinced than ever that the creature known as Nessie is a real living animal. Others find it hard to believe and have come up with their own theories and explanations. Could be a crackhead that got hold to the wrong stuff. Welcome to Mysteriousnesses, episode number 24. I am your host, John Jay, and with me as always are the Lances, Lauren and Michael. Ooh. We also have Stewie B joining us. The Zanzibar man. Yeah. Oh, now you're talking loud. I was talking loud before. No. Way to mess up our sound. You're just a bad sound man. You know, you just you're just not good at checking. You're not good at it. It's a mystery. I literally was yelling. I literally was yelling. I was rapping and yelling. Mike, are you the sound of the wind? No, it's the wind over the ocean waves over a shipwreck. Mike, why are you covered in dirt? It sounds like you just have allergies. You're covered in dirt. That's a mystery. Yeah. Were you sleeping in a grave? Getting ready for mysteriousness. No, I was just Were you preparing? Were you method acting? Method preparing? No, I'm getting ready to go to a chemo show. <laughs> so you got to cover yourself with soot? For a week, for a full week beforehand. A lot of people don't know about uh, about covering yourself with soot. From you don't the know about days. soot rock? <laughs> God. We have a great show for you guys. Too uh, good almost. Really interesting stuff. In our feature segment, we're going to be talking about the mysteries shra- surrounding the life and death of Shakespeare. It's mysterious. It's Ooh. mysteriousness. Mm-hmm. For your... For your pleasure. And we're going to talk about how Tone Loke still has a career. Yeah, he so, still does. Maybe. Still touring. It's a mystery. <laughs> it is a mainly, uh, mainly wing, wing houses all around the country. First up, let's talk about some science. Yeah, I love science. Do you? I try to love Wait, it. Wait, is it like <laughs> real science or fake science? This is real science. A new study brings fake scientists news? one step closer to mind reading. Okay, I like this. Uh, a crime happens, and there is a witness. Instead of a sketch artist drawing a portrait of the suspect based on verbal descriptions, the police hook the witness up to an EEG equipment. The witness is asked to picture the perpetrator. From the EEG data, a face appears. So it's just like facial recognition? Mm. No, this is taking signals that your brain is producing. Try to create an image out of it. And then it's creating an image out of it. They're actually... Like, they're not that close, but they're pretty close to, like, doing this, like, a legit way. They have some of the pictures on here. Uh, While this scenario exists only in the realm of science fiction, new research from the University of Toronto, Scarborough, it brings it one step closer to reality. Scientists have used EEG data or brain waves to reconstruct images of faces shown to subjects. In other words, they're using EEG to tap into what a subject is seeing. So this is, they're, they're using EEG to tap into what... The person actually saw, not like what they remember, yeah, or yeah. like what they're imagining or whatever. It's like what no, they recorded. They're, they're going back to a, what their eyeballs recorded. Yep, that's ooh, that's spooky. So when we yeah. see something, our brains create a mental impression or a percept of the thing. In the study, researchers hooked up 13 subjects to EEG equipment and showed them images of human faces. The subjects saw one happy face and one neutral face for 70 different individuals for a total of 140 images. The faces each flashed across the stre- screen for a fraction of a second. The recorded brain activity, both individual data and aggregate data from all subjects, was then used to recreate the face using machine learning. 
The reconstructed images were then compared to the original images. The aggregate data produced more accurate results, but individual data was also more ac accurate than random chance. Huh. So this is like uh, the oh, aggregate weird. data. So if you look on the on the left, that's uh, what that's like the, the, shown. the picture of what was flashed in front of them, and then this is what their brain reconstructed and oh, what the machine learning did. It probably it, it, well the, 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 the technology gets better, but it'll probably be much closer. Looks like yeah. everybody needs glasses. Just yeah, it's it like being blurry. It's like they didn't remember it very well. And if you look at like like if you say the nose is more accurate on the on the on the um. So like this one isn't very accurate. No. Uh, <clears throat> that that second one in the middle bottom isn't very accurate. This one's not very accurate, right? This one's pretty close. This one's pretty close, and this one's pretty. Well, close. to be fair, these guys' faces are kind of like not memorable. They're not very memorable yeah. faces because people kind of look like that to me. Like you see a person's face and then you turn away. Say so if you, somebody said, "How'd that guy look?" You'd be like, "Um, I, he was fat. he was kind of like a white guy, kind of thin, but like his face. It would be hard." Those aren't like, you know, those are nondescript faces. Yeah. So that's pretty much my memory of how the guy's face would look. Like you told me to write it down. Yeah. I'd say it's pretty close considering pretty that they're taking this information from brain waves. Yeah. Well, I think it's as good as a sketch would be. Sketches aren't that great unless somebody that's has like a true. defining characteristic. Uh, so this would open up numerous possibilities starting uh, from forensic stuff such as reconstruction of appearances of people seen by witnesses based on their brain signal to nonverbal types of communication for people with impaired abilities to communicate to interrogate uh, integration of these systems as parts of a brain-computer interface for professional and entertainment purposes. I'm well, I'm excited. For, give it five to five to ten years. He's talking about the Matrix, by the way. Basically, yep. I'm, yeah. I'm, in five to ten years, I'm kind of pumped to see like reenactments of like things that occurred. Like not like you getting like twenty people that were in a room during like a fight breaking out. Then you get all these aggregate aggregates from them. Yeah. And you model it, and then you literally have like a 3D fucking perception of what happened in that space. People are gonna use this to do VRs of like ma murders and creepy things that happen. Like I want to be in the Charles Manson's house when he went crazy and killed those actors. Well, it, it's just it it, it also. That's creepy. There's like, also more. There's also more practical purposes like people yeah. with disabilities that like maybe say have like autism Who or can't communicate. or they're just mute. They don't have vocal cords or something. Yeah. And they could just have like a, a like a machine, maybe that could just show pictures of what they want, of what they want, or what they need, or what they're feeling. Yeah. Uh, I think it's there's a lot of uses for it. Actually, it's it's pretty interesting. And there's there's like an entertainment side that could be garnered from it, and there's a lot of practical uses. It'll definitely be used for entertainment it, first, for, for sure. Because that's, well, that's where the money. That's, is. Yeah, that's where the money that's where comes the money from. Comes yeah. from. It'll be used for but think about first. this. Also, if you use this on coma patients, I want to see. Like, I know the brain activity. I, I know I the brain activity is low, but can you imagine? Like, see, see what they're seeing. See what if they're anything? seeing. It's just, well, well, a, it's just a pickle. They just see a pickle flashing. Flash, that's all. Like, all ah, man, all they're, they're gone. They're gone. We got a pickle. It's the wet pickle. I thought it might have been the banana at first, but I had a chance. Most interesting application of this I can imagine is hooking this up to people as they die. Ooh, yep. That's that, would, that would be yeah. a cool people, study. People are going to be able to donate. Yeah. Hey, I want, I want to be viewed. I want my brain to be viewed as I die. Anyone remember that show this in the 90s? This could unlock some serious shit. There's, yeah, a lot of, there's a lot of potential here. There was a show in the 90s where this 10, kid was years? in a coma, and it put him into a fantasy universe. Oh, yeah, yeah. So I remember think I remember that about an anime? About that. No, it was yeah, I'm pretty sure they use this technology to make that show. Yeah. And reboot. But I personally think it's super interesting. I'm curious to see how... How far this goes, if they can keep getting funding for it. Mm -hmm. But like, you, you all you need to sell is the entertainment aspect, like improving VR interactions. Yeah, you just sell that shit to porn. Like, hey, how about this? A person goes to like a party, like a, an incredible party with all these celebrities, right? And they're being mon they go, and then you get to, you get you pay 
to be subscribed to be a part of these experiences. So only one person is going to this party, right? But yeah. they're wearing this equipment. And they're just at the party hanging out with Kanye, drinking. And you pay, which people would fucking do. Oh, I want to yeah. be at that party. I'll pay you oh, 20 I'd bucks. To experience I'll pay you 20 somebody. bucks so I can be at the party. Four, the 46 drummer. people last night were assaulted by Harvey Weinstein. <laughs> no. <laughs> at one time. It's true, though. Or, yeah, you could, or, like, or I wanna be, I wanna pretend be the, to be a murderer, like, in the movie Strange Days. Like, they have session drummers for, like, these big acts, like, fucking... Wow, like these great bands, like My Chemical Romance. You can throw, I mean, the Rolling Stones, any band. Mm. You can say, I want to be the drummer. I want to be for Paul Simon's I'll drummer. I'll pay $100 to be the drummer. You know how much money you can make if you could give a person that type of VR experience and they could feel like they're or really it, there? Or even just the basic, like, just controlling a video game with your mind. Yeah. Exactly, yeah. just controlling a video game with your mind. That would be the most basic level. But there, you can in, endlessly monetize this. This thing's going to be crazy when, they, when it finally explodes. Yeah. Yeah, so they've been, they've, been working, they've been working on this for a while using MRI oh, technology. I want to be snap on a drunken bender. <laughs> Aren't yeah. MRIs a little bit, isn't there like a radiation component? Oh, they're, using, they're not yeah. using it near the patient. They're just running it through an MRI to, to create the imaging. I see. Yeah, like a, I guess. A, like, a, like a modified but apparently the EEG technique is uh, is a little bit better and faster with clearer results. So and it's also way less invasive <laughs> and cheaper, cheaper and cheaper to do too. Yeah, yeah. MRI is way more expensive, more expensive than an EEG. And radiation involved. EEG, EEG makes a lot more sense. Remember, you can check out all these articles on the show notes. That, uh, that's fascinating. I'm actually pretty excited about to see what they do with this. Let's see. Moving on to some UFO and extraterrestrial news. You knew we were going to do that. You knew it. This alien-infested desert ranch can be all yours for $5 million. Nice. I like and, this ooh, and there's a link infested. to a loan page up there, too. Oh, I like loans. Oh, in case you got to get $5 million real quick. <laughs> you got to need that to travel there. I, I mean, mean who knows you know, if you won, like, $200 million in, like, a lotto or whatever, I'd buy what's it. $5 million on an alien-infested ranch? Yeah, I'll get an alien ranch. I would buy that. That's I'd nothing. buy it, put houses on it, and make, nice house my friends there. house there. It's a pretty crappy-looking ranch, to be honest. Yeah, where is it? I kind of feel like they're using the alien. To sell track people here, but where is it shitty? Uh, where yes. it is? Stardust Ranch Ranch's owner said he's tired of fighting off the ETs, which he's caught <laughs> beaming up his wife, Son banging the bitch. shit out of his wife. I mean, oh got, God, it's in Arizona. She's got a fucking fine ass. Like, <laughs> well, they love, they look great for probing. No, they love thick. Arizona. They love thick ankles. They love thick ankles. She's got a fucking pair of ham hocks. They on. love oh, people yeah, who retain straight water. Straight to the toe. They There's no the, foot. It's just leg well, and toe. Water retention is like breasts for them. Yeah. Breast and ash. Um, they don't have a lot of water on their planet. No. A 10 it's acre like a ranch is up for grabs in Arizona with a unique property listed as featuring an in ground swimming pool, a hay barn, and a constant stream of extraterrestrials that travel through a backyard portal. The fuck. The Stardust Ranch in Rainbow Valley, which was featured on the Travel Channel program Ghost Adventures, is on the market for a cool $5 million after its current owner said he grew tired of fighting off aliens and Why was it featured in Ghost Adventures? I don't know. Digging because yeah, I mean because they because they got up to like ten or twelve seasons. That's okay. why they're like shit. We gotta get. We ran out of ghosts. We gotta branch out. Yeah. We've literally covered every haunting in the world. Now it's aliens. So he said, uh, af- almost immediately from the day we moved in, we began to have strange experiences. Owner John Edmonds told. Might Phoenix have been all the masculine. <laughs> Over the last 20 years, Edmonds claims that he's been abducted and had medical experiments performed on him by the aliens and even had to slay a few in samurai <laughs> sword fights. Yes! Yes, that's amazing. This just got so much cooler. It got deeper. I will spend $5 million for samurai alien killing. I mean, oh. It's yes. oh not against the law. But dude, how many pills? Yeah, there's no law against killing aliens. So why not? This, this guy has the last 20 quaaludes in his fucking... In, <laughs> in his, his body. In his body right now. <laughs> this guy has it all. 
This guy's as, getting as, fucked up on that ranch. As exciting as it all may sound, he said it has not been a positive experience for him <laughs> as he purchased the property to take care of rescue horses. Instead, he claims the aliens have harmed not only him, but his wife and the animals. Oh, you don't touch the animals. Wow, he should have left the horses where they were. He just made yeah. life worse for him. I saved uh, save from the time I was eight years old to buy a horse ranch, and when I buy a horse ranch, I buy an alien hellhole. <laughs> oh, God. Well, maybe you shouldn't do that, then. It's not like you can say, well, I screwed up, I'll just dump it and go get another one. Ooh, he posted it. the photos to Facebook that show off some of the physical injuries and scars that he claims aliens left him with. <laughs> one such photo shows dents and scratches on his legs, which he described as wounds from a battle with malevolent E.T. <laughs> That's why this I is why moved. I want to move, he wrote. Damn. I don't know. You're not really selling it, man. It looks look like a sleep scar. Yeah, that could easily be a sleep scar. Well, he probably just woke up and was like, fuck, they, look, they did They did it to me. Uh, ah. Another photo shows a samurai sword lying across what he claims is alien blood on the ground. Do they not have is that photo green? here? Please tell me it's green. I don't see it. Uh, oh, it. wasn't pictured. Picture didn't happen. Might have it right here. The fact here. checker did not do his job. Mm. We need that footage. Oh, here's, yeah. Oh. It oh. is? Okay. Oh, wow. this is it? A, green blood. It's on, it's green on Facebook. Blood. So I, I can't I can't Chromecast it to you guys. Well, come over and look. It, it's not green. It's, it's not green. Color. It just just looks like a normal murder scene. <laughs> oh god! <laughs> <What>? <laughs> just it's a like regular a, mundane murder your scene. Typical murder with a samurai sword. <laughs> Listen, what he's telling you is that some horses can't be saved. Yeah. <laughs> His wife also had her share of experiences, including one he said he witnessed firsthand. They actually levitated her out of the bed in the master chamber and carried her into the parking lot and tried to draw her up into the craft. Who calls a bedroom a chamber? Yeah, I guess if you're, if you have a horse ranch, you might as well. If you have samurai sword fights with fucking, uh, you know, Does he aliens. he live in like the thirty-six chambers of Shaolin? In his uh, 2015 interview, Edmund said the uninvited ET guests come through the property's portal or gate almost like clockwork. We know that there's a gate on the back of the property. We know where it is, and about every 72 days it seems to open. And at that point, there are massive sightings out there, he said. Throw some dirt over it. Those interested in potentially experiencing their own out-of-this-world encounters or those who are just looking for a five-bedroom, four-bathroom ranch featuring beautiful desert views can learn more about the listing here. So if you guys want to buy it, you can check out the show notes. Does it come with the sword? Uh, I bet he'll throw in the sword, honestly. Yeah, I'm sure that's not the only one he has. Yeah, I'm sure he has multiple samurai swords. <laughs> yeah. If you're multiple experiencing times. aliens every 72 days, you're going to be fully strapped. Got to be prepared. I don't know. Uh, Bullets don't affect them. Got to use a sword. I feel like I feel like uh, somebody like uh, Richard Branson should buy this ranch and oh, just, yeah. and just set up a, so set up a bunch lab. Bunch of cameras. Bunch of cameras. Set up a, a portal containment unit or a PCU. Yeah. As we say. As we say in the... I don't know. I think I think I'm gonna start saving. I mean, right. I, well, I'm, you know, just do what he did and save a nickel a day from when you're eight. From when you were eight. <laughs> yeah. I, maybe we should start a Kickstarter. See if we can get five million to buy this ranch. <laughs> we might get it. <laughs> please. Oh my. God. Yeah, we just start a Kickstarter <laughs> and we. No, we make the Kickstarter for, I, I would say, let's make it for $7 million. Yeah, That way so we, we can, have cameras equipment. We, gotta, we can yeah. spend $2 million on lab and camera equipment and, uh, and, and also uh, plasma rifles. Got to be fully prepared for yeah. any eventuality. <laughs> We're going to need supplies. Oh, and arc grenades. Don't forget arc grenades. Work on us. I think, yeah. yeah. Let's do it, you guys. Kickstarter. Got to kickstart it. Got to follow our dreams. I mean, there's no, there's really no 
downside? reason not to. Like, not they any... don't punish you if you don't make it. That's you true. just don't get the no, money. No, they come to your house and... They beat you. Beat the shit out of you. In front of your With children. Samurai sword. So here's a... Uh, <laughs> if you don't have children, they beat you in front of their children. <laughs> <laughs> here's here's a uh, uh, posting on uh, our abductions. Okay. This is a praying mantis alien experience. Ooh, with drawings. There are some drawings. Nice. Oh, I love drawings. Good. Me too. That is adorable. Especially when someone's bad at it. Uh, I had been struggling all night to fall asleep due to sinus pressure and our clingy cat. Know it. Wow, that's yeah. like my fucking life. <laughs> yeah. You guys can relate. And when I finally fell asleep, I was on my back, which is usually uncomfortable for me. Is this guy me? Yeah, as soon as I felt my sleep fo- felt myself fall over the edge and into dreamland, I seemed to wake right back up. I was frustrated and disoriented for a second when I realized there was something in my room. Now, usually when I dream, I'm immediately aware it's a dream. Colors are oversaturated, people are more exuberant, some things are always on off in my surroundings. I never dream vividly of any one location to where I doubt if I'm dreaming or not. But this time, the room, uh, but this time, room was undoubtedly my room. My husband was snoring softly next to me. I heard the AC click on. The fan at the end of the bed had its blinking red power light, and then the light was blocked as if something shifted in front of it. There was something sitting on my stomach, blocking the light from the fan in the hallway. Yeah, it was the cat, dude. Uh, yeah, it does sound like it could be a cat. Um... I was startled, of course, but I didn't feel any urge to scream. For a split second, I, star- I stared at the thing, and it stared at me, assessing each other. It had a vaguely heart-shaped face with ridged brow bones that joined together in a uh, distinct rounded M shape, and behind the brows was a noticeable and horizontally elongated cranium, which reminded me of the aliens in the Indiana Jones movie. So, like, grays, I guess? Yeah. yeah. Under the, the brow... tall grays. Yeah, under the brow bones, there were deep, round recesses like an owl or something, and large black eyes that were more rounded than you usually see in depictions of your typical aliens. Under the eyes, the face uh, started to taper off before rounding into a recessed chin, and I don't recall ever seeing a mouth due to the darkness in the room. The rest of the creature was skinny, long, but altogether it weighed less than my toddler. So it's like sitting on her. It's skinny and long, but it's like... It's Zorak. Mike, yeah, it, Mike showing me a picture it's of Zorak. Zorak. <laughs> I started making soft ticking noises and tilted its head against my hands, leaning forward very slowly. Uh, the ticking intensified, deepened, and slowed down as if it was uh, slowing. There was a rushing noise in my ears. My hands fell to my sides as limp and over crooked noodles. And my eyes rolled back in my head. In my last second of consciousness, I recall thinking, oh, God, no. And I used every last bit of my strength to roll to the side, hoping to force the thing off me somehow. As soon as my face connected up with my husband's shoulder, I woke up properly and sat up straight in bed. The thing was gone. Two seconds after I sat up, my two-year-old started screaming. Not her usual cry for a clean diaper or bottle, but a scream. I shot out of bed and got her, cuddled her, and jumped at small noises until she had fallen back asleep. I drew it because, of course, I did. This better be a picture of Zorak. If it's if it's a picture of Zorak, I'm gonna be mad. <laughs> Let's see. No, this is a. Uh, this is kind of. It kind of looks like ET. Yeah, it does look like ET. Huh? Ouch. Kind of looks like ET sitting oh, on her chest. Yeah. Oh wow. Yeah, it's kind of cute. Huh. It's cute in a picture, but if it's sitting on your chest when you wake up in the less middle of the night, cute. it's way Not less cute. cute. Oh, its butthole was directly touching her chest, too. Yeah. That's unpleasant. See, that just makes me believe that it was her cat. 
I think so. I think she's had a freaky dream. She yeah. had a freaky dream and her cat's butthole was on her? Or yeah. that's how aliens get us to, to believe that they, they're not around. Or all cats are aliens. So Ooh, this is... nice. This is uh, what she thinks it looks, it looks like. Yeah, I don't know. It's interesting. Not a problem. I mean, he didn't fuck her. She's Maybe lucky. Maybe he just wanted eye holes. Uh, she said, I also feel the need to add that this was written the morning after the incident about two years ago. I never Googled anything about these creatures and tried not to think about it after the fact. Today I was convinced to upload this from my documents file because I got the urge to Google some things and found out that people apparently hear these things clicking as a way of communication. That's too coincidental for my comfort levels. So yeah, that's... I don't know. It seems like it's some very specific sort of uh, alien creature, you know? I mean, it could be real. I mean, it seems more like an alien to me than a transdimensional. Um, yeah. It, it also sounds, like, very similar to just a dream that startled It could be. Some sort of night terror. eyes kind of tip me off, because, like, a lot of ab- abductees do talk about owls and things like that. So it's yeah. interesting to me that see. she's talking about... That it had owl-shaped eyes. Yeah. I mean, it's possible. It's one of those things it's hard to, to tell because it's always when people are sleepy. Yeah. And that's it's like... What, uh, that sounds more yeah. like a dream than a But it also but would be a convenient time. But it would also be a really convenient time to do shit to people because you know that if you're if you're like an alien, you don't want to be detected or like talked about. People will just poo-poo it. Very yeah, true. just like Back to the Future. Yeah, it's like the perfect time to do it. It's like, okay, I'm just gonna fuck with this person when they're sleeping, and nobody's gonna believe. I don't know. Yeah. I always, I always, uh, I always feel when people are t- talk about like, well, it, it, it didn't seem like a dream just because it didn't feel like a dream. I always, I always kind of add weight to that because, because I don't know. We've all had that experience where it's like, this, like I should be dreaming right now, but it feels so real. You yeah. know, it's true. I mean, I think it's possibly true, uh, especially the fact that she didn't try to like run around and like make a big thing out of it. She just posted it quietly on her Reddit. I think legitimately, at least at least in her mind, it was definitely like a distinctive experience. It didn't just feel like a dream. Because mm. there are sub- Reddit, sub- there's subreddits that are just like about dreaming weird shit. That's true. Yeah, right. And usually shit. in a dream, it's not that concise. Usually you'll see that, and then you'll see like, oh, and then a fucking another one was floating. And, and then well, and she wall. she also had like the normal mundane details of the AC clicking on and the red light <laughs> on the fan, and then the red light being yeah, the blocked. Thing, yeah, and the thing was just kind of mesmerizing her, and then it just tick tick tick, and then it knocked her out. Just put her out. Yeah, I don't know what. What do you think? What do you think aliens do to knock you out? I think they just have uh, power. I think it's powerful brain waves. You know how like it's just some able- sort of brainwave gun. They're just or like just, I think it's just with their fries you. It, it, it could just be their actual evolutionary ability. I mean, I'm I'm really fascinated by the idea about just human evolution. Like just thinking about our our fucking species, transport that five thousand into the five thousand years into the future. Can you just imagine? Like, can you quantify how we're gonna look? How, yeah, like we're going to be able to type all emojis and understand each other. <laughs> just with our current rate of like ev- how we're evolving with technology, how things are moving, like I, I can't I mean imagine like the di- the difference between us and like the Egyptians and, and the difference in technology. I, I mean looks and, and, and looks how physically we're body our bodies are much taller and bigger. We're much bigger. I'm curious if there's going to be a like like a like a top off point on that too. Or are we going to be like the, those fucking humans in AI? You remember how they depicted oh, humans? Oh yeah. yeah, they're super. They depicted us because first you thought it was aliens, but the view, but the there was like a theory that was proposed that we're actually humans that were super evolved, like three or four thousand years in the future, mm-hmm. and they were just really tall, like seven feet tall. Oh okay, and they were just thin. Well, I mean, that is one of the theories with like gray aliens is that they're not really aliens; they're just time travelers. Well, they're, I wouldn't believe that with with they're the grays. Ul- they're ultra terrestrials. They're from like ten thousand years in the future. It could be. 
But I don't. I mean, I think ten thousand years in the future, we can, we'll be able to pick our bodies. There'll we'll, only we'll be, be able to, war. We'll be able to pick our bodies. Maybe those are the most efficient ones. Maybe, 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 or the cheapest. Or maybe, or maybe people just like it. It's like nostalgic. <clears throat> like I remember hearing about great. Like, like maybe it's like one of those things that just perpetuates itself. Oh God, <laughs> oh, that would be weird. Like, uh, that's crazy. Either way. All right, let's move on to some cryptozoology stuff. Uh, let's see. The 1918 Port Stephen shark. Was it a megalodon? And I've heard this story in passing before, or I've heard like a little bit of it before, but I've never really gone into it. Um, in 1918, a group of lobster fishermen fishing out of Port Stephens AU. Where is AU? Is that, I think that's, Australia? that's a, Australia, I think. I think that's Canada. Uh, Alberta, maybe? No. No. Anyway, they experienced a sighting of what is conceivably the largest shark ever recorded. Described as being ghostly white in color and measuring from 115 to 300 feet in length, this particular historical sighting is arguably one of the strongest pieces of anecdotal evidence for the existence of an extant population of the purportedly extinct mackerel shark, or the megalodon. Hmm. The actual sighting uh, recounted by Australian naturalist David Steed goes as follows. So it is Australia. In the year 1918, I recorded the sensation that had been caused among the outside crayfish men, Port Stevens. What, what do these people talk like in 1918? Jesus. They talk like Hugh Jack. The crayfish men? I think they're just lobster. Yeah. Uh, for several days, they refused to go to sea to their regular fishing grounds in the vicinity of uh, Burlington Island. The men had been at work on the fishing grounds which lie in deep water when an immense shark of almost unbelievable proportions put in an appearance, lifting pot after pot containing many crayfishes and taking, as the men said, pots, mooring lines, and all. These crayfish pots, it should be mentioned, were about three to six inches in diameter and frequently contained from two to three dozen good-sized crayfish, each weighing several pounds. So I guess they call lobsters crayfish in Australia? Because we got crawfish, yeah, we got they call them prawn. They call shrimp prawns. We got crawdads, and they and do not aliens. weigh three pounds. Not at all. They call aliens a crawfish prawns is different than a crayfish. Too. Yeah, fucking. I, I think they, that's what they're talking about lobsters. <laughs> yeah, so they're talking about yeah. lobsters. Uh, let's see. And they frequently attained. Uh, the men were all unanimous that this shark was something of like of which they had never dreamed of. In company with the local fisheries inspector, I questioned many of the men very closely, and they all agreed as to the gigantic stature of the beast. But the links the, they gave were, on the whole, absurd. I mentioned them, however, as an indication of the state of mind which this unusual giant had thrown them into. And bear in mind that these were men who were used to the sea, and all sorts of weather, and all sorts of sharks as well. They were that's, men of the sea. That's a good point, you know? Sea like, men. they're not going to get spooked by a normal-sized shark, no. you know? Uh, one of the crew said the shark was 300 feet long at least. That's a little bit ridiculous. Others said it was as long as the wharf on which we stood, about 115 feet. I could believe that. They affirmed that the water boiled over a large space when the fish swam past. They were all familiar with whales, which they had often seen passing at sea, but this was a vast shark. They had seen its terrible head, which was at least as long as the roof of the wharf shed at Nelson Bay. Impossible, of course. But these were prosaic and rather stolid men, not given to fish stories, nor even to talking about their catches. Further, they knew that the person they were talking to, myself, had heard all the fish stories years before. One of the things that impressed me was that they all agreed as to the ghostly whitish color of the vast fish. 
The local fisheries inspector at the time, Mr. Patton, agreed with me that it must have been something really gigantic to put these experienced men into such a state of fear and panic. So, I don't know. What do you guys think about that? Like 300 feet is fucking three, huge. I, I, I mean, how could they... I mean, but I mean, I, I don't know. These guys, you know, like you know, they're not they're not noobs, you know. Yeah, but it's but think about it. Even if you saw one that was 100, 120 feet, it would bl- it might, you know what I mean? A like, blue whale is only about eighty to hundred. To, to see something that big, it might just. But again, it's hard. No, to look say. up. How long is a blue whale? Eighty-two feet is the median size. Okay, that's still pretty incredible. So how long was the megalodon? They said 300 feet. They said 115 to 300. Well, I guess anything past 115 is just, just, so just crazy. And also, you're not seeing the whole body out of the water. They're just saying, okay, it's massive. Yeah, I'm it just could, talking in length. They're probably like, it could be anything from, that's probably about right. It could be anything from 100 plus to 300 feet. They don't know. It was too big, you know? I believe I believe that they saw something that size. I believe. I believe there could be. Remnants of megalodons. If I don't it know, was a megalodon that was that old, I don't know uh, where. Uh, assuming they never stopped growing. So, so one of the theories later on uh, that this sighting wasn't a megalodon, but it was a giant whale shark. That which could be it. that's still really that's big still really for a big. whale shark. Yeah. And also, I no, mean, whale sharks. They don't eat. They don't. They eat like they eat krill. They eat krill yeah. as well, like a whale does. Yeah, well, the whale eats algae. Right? Yeah, yeah they, they eat the same. They shit. eat like krill. Yeah, they just swim around and shit falls into their mouth. Yeah. Yeah. Like Jared. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I I mean, this is to me this is very believable. I like, mean there's so there's so much that we don't know about the ocean even. You know, there still. was that crocodile so vast. in Africa yeah. that lived for like three thousand years. It's so vast and especially at that time, you know, even then I mean, think about how little discovering we actually did in the ocean. It was like Well the uh I mean if it was a whale shark the uh, the clay pots that had the lobsters in it would have been too big. Yeah, for it, you that know, because it can sense. only eat like little stuff. Yeah. So I don't know. Mouth. the The Port Stephen shark was purportedly a ghost, ghostly white in color. Are there white whale sharks? They're rare, but in fact they exist. I should think a sixty to ninety foot whale shark with pale skin and sucking down lobster pot after lobster pot while the owners watch helplessly would make for an astonishing, even terrifying sight. With its unusual color, they probably never made the connection that it was a harmless whale shark, if they were even familiar with the species. Yeah, a lot of sailors at that time wouldn't even know that they exist because they don't really surface. They're claiming this thing was about half the size of the Titanic. Yeah, I mean, so that's like wow. the size of a Megalodon. Yep. That's pretty fucking huge. Can you imagine seeing that out of no. the water? Can you imagine seeing that? Pants. If I was on land, I wouldn't shit. I would just be like, I'm never going back out there. Yeah, <laughs> yeah just not doing it. Not going. Yeah. I'm done. I'm already weird about getting into the ocean, not being able to see I'm going to be feet. a blacksmith. Okay. I don't know. I guess, I guess I'm a blacksmith like I'm my daddy told me I should be. getting in the water ever again. There's so much ocean that has been unexplored. There could be something like this. Like oh, it, does, it might not even be a megalodon. You know, It, it might, might just, just be something another, uh, similar. Yeah, it might large, just be a super old old, fish. old shark or old fish. We don't know. There's so much space, especially at that point in time. It's 1912, I believe, or 1918. And I mean, it, to be, ocean fascinates me, especially the depths. When you get into the depths, that gets really weird. Mm. Yeah. yeah, you never know what could agitate one of these like really deep dwelling beasts into coming up to the surface. You know exactly. And a lot of these beasts, especially if they're from lower lower down, they don't have to be as low as as those really crazy ones that like we see. Like anglerfish and shit. Anglerfish, the- but they could be higher. And these ones also also I think this size might lie dormant for ten twenty years. Might barely because the energy requirements. Like Godzilla. The energy yeah. requirements for <laughs> no, the energy requirements for things this size are so immense that they, they can't eat? move like, that much. You know, they don't even eat. 
So they just they just. I mean, it just eats. It would have eat, to eat everything. It would just have to consume whatever goes into its mouth. Its mouth is probably big enough. This guy's thinking that it probably they probably allowed the uh, cage lobsters to go into his mouth and crush the pots and just you know just use the suction, use the crushing mechanism to try to see if it could get some nutrients out of it. I think it's believable at that size because a normal whale shark those pots would be too big, like John said. Right. But one that's two hundred feet. Maybe I mean, it, it, it might could just eat just clay to, pots. It might just go into its hole and it just smushes it, and it's like, okay, I got some stuff out of that. But can you imagine the the energy requirements? Their metabolism has to be so slow to allow it to survive. Yeah, yeah. it's 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 incredible. I mean, it just amazes me. Whales amaze me. This is even more amazing. Yeah, I think it's this, totally, I think it's totally possible. I, yeah, I think this is possible. I mean. Shit, I mean the the seas were way less inhabited by humans back then. We like, there's way more people out on the water yeah. now. Yeah, I mean, and more so every single year. I mean, really quick, Mike. I mean, yeah. the, think about the population of the world at that time, especially the seafaring population. Well, I mean, that's only a hundred years ago. But but think about just well, first of all, the population of the world has like it is exploding. It's exploding, but um, because people are just surviving now and surviving to fuck, and babies are just living <laughs> instead of just dying like they used to. But there was just a lot less people out in the water back then, you know. And a lot less pollution. A lot less pollution. Too. Yeah, I mean, we might have. Might be dead this, now. Yeah, this species might have been killed off from a dump, the f- dumping garbage dumping in the water. Oil. Yeah. Might have just dumped oil. Like, oh man, I just ate a thousand plastic bottles. Oh, I'm dead. I'm dead. Yeah. <laughs> it just sinks down to the bottom, you know, yeah. the seafloor. And I mean, we never crazy. find it again. Amazing, though. All right, let's move on to some paranormal stuff. Uh, spooks on a plane. A story of haunted planes. Don't talk about my family like that. Wow. Damn, nigga. Racist. <laughs> All right, so let's uh, do do a couple of these ones. Let's see, demon on a plane. This is uh, the most recent one. This is the most recent. Right. So these are all stories about uh, hauntings or paranormal events that happen on planes, which I, I I would like to note is probably the least likely likely place that I w- or least place that I would ever want to enca- encounter a ghost. I yeah. don't flying. Want- Anything to go abnormal on a fucking plane. Yeah, just let's just keep it simple. I'm yeah. curious. Yeah, let's keep like the engine falling off or something like that. Yeah, yeah. I never experienced it, but you know they, they, they say that they say there's a certain percentage of people that die on planes every year, but just of old age. Yeah, there's a there's a there's a number of people that just died of natural causes on a plane. Yeah. What do they do when the when someone oh, dies wait, on a plane? I, I, do they I, just I, have to land it immediately? Well, well, no, no. They, well, no, they don't land immediately. A lot of times they don't know until the, until the person's ready to get off the flight. Because you don't shake a person who's asleep. You don't shake them awake to get them yeah, food. No. Sometimes those bitches wake me up just to put on my seatbelt. I go, it is on. It's under the blanket. Yeah. People but the person die might in put their seatbelt on and never taking it people off. People die everywhere. Like uh, yeah. Nobody thinks about people dying in cruise ships, but there's, a, but a, there's a morgue on every cruise oh, ship. Oh, yeah, they just cover that shit up, though, right? Oh, you know, they just take the body down and put it in ice. Like, hey, let's just be quiet. You can't stop the cruise ship those things make and how much that thing's worth yeah and you can't stop a plane so they just probably land and then i mean i wonder if that's what they're dealing with here so this is the most recent one uh demon on a plane okay i'm not convinced this was an actual case of possession by a demon in december 2017 a woman caused an air china plane to turn around and go back to beijing uh after the plane took off the woman collapsed about 20 minutes into the flight Given that she was unresponsive, the captain decided to turn the plane around. However, when the woman came to, she wasn't very receptive to receiving any help. She decided that there were things possessing her body, and she started thrashing and becoming emotionally unstable. It took six people to get her under control. What's even more creepy is that the woman said that there were not only things possessing her body, but they couldn't be found with health checks. I mean, this could have just been a crazy old religious nut. 
you know, kind of going off. Yeah. Stressed because she was on a fucking airplane. I mean, I, I get it. Yeah. yeah. Uh, read this one for me, Stu. All right. Eastern Airlines oh, Flight 401. Okay. Uh, this is probably one of the most famous ghost stories in relation to airplanes that I've read about. On December 29th, 1972, Eastern Airlines Flight 401 went down in the Everglades and took 101 lives. The plane departed from New York City and was heading towards Miami. As the plane was preparing to land, the landing gear indicator lighter was on, wasn't on. It was later reported that the light had burnt out and the landing gear was down. However, the crew became so distracted by the reported malfunction that the plane crashed. That's not good. Pilot Bob Loft and flight engineer Donald Repo, kind of an interesting last name, sounds like a, sounds fake yeah. <laughs> because of the name. Loft and Repo. Loft and Repo. Could be a, could like the, the adventures of Loft and Repo. We, we work for Tango and Cash. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we're among the perished. The, uh, the flight engineer and the, and the pilot were among the perished. After the crash, it was rumored that the functional parts were left. The functional parts that were left were used for parts on other planes. That's dark. That's dark. <laughs> it's just all about the bottom line. All about yep. the bottom line. Oh, these parts still work. Let's let's use let's use those. After that, there were over twenty reports of Loft and Repo being sighted. God, this this sounds like a ghost detective story, like a ghost buddy cop story. <laughs> Loft, and Loft and Repo, Repo after ghost detectives. That would actually I would actually watch that shit. <laughs> okay, um, so um, twenty reports of Loft and Repo being sighted. Repo was often seen warning the passengers that there was something wrong with the plane. That's creepy. While Loft was seen sitting next to passengers. Ooh. Well, this could be an elaborate ghost story. One has to wonder if Repo and Loft were trying to make amends for their mistake in life. I think this has some legitimacy, potential legitimacy. Uh, I think because the amount of people that randomly unreported people that saw the same. Situation. I think if if these two guys are ghosts and they're and they're scaring people they're like to pieces of like the okay plane. like there wasn't anything wrong with the plane except for the stupid indicator light okay and now you're just distracting more people yeah and yeah. make pay, so making another poten- potentially dangerous Action situation forever. so they're either malevolent or stupid yeah, yeah or, or, or well maybe, I mean or, obviously they're dumb well, we're maybe, stuck or, in a loop that that's what I was gonna say they're stuck in that loop of like the mistake that they made and trying to. They like something's up. wrong with the plane when actually there's nothing wrong with the plane. They the just loop, crashed bro. it because a light there's went off. There's a gremlin off. on the side of the plane. And it could, it could, it could not even be all of their essence. It just could be a part of the protoplasmic essence of those two individuals. That's just like a loop running. Yeah, like the stain like, like of an echo or stain. Yep. Yeah, the stain of being unable to fix yep. something that went wrong. Yep. I can see that. I, I can see it being uh, being real. All right, Mike. I don't know. You want to hear? Scare bust it up, Mike. Yeah. The scare boost. <laughs> the scare boost. <laughs> That's, that's what it's called, right? Yep. The scare bus. How sore would you be if you were sent home from work and then killed in a car accident on the way home? That's what happened to a flight attendant who was working on an A320 aircraft. I like that he said, how sore would you be? How sore would you be? I'd be spitting out. I'd be, uh, I'd I'd be real sore. I'd be real piping sore hot. about it. I mean, piping I would, hot I about it. I wouldn't be sore anymore because I'd be fucking dead. Yeah. An A320 aircraft that was run by the Constellation International Airlines. While she was doing her pre-flight check, she fell ill and called for her boss. The flight attendant ended up being sent home. While she was driving back, she ended up getting killed in a car accident. After the accident, it seemed her soul went back to the plane she was supposed to work on. Flight attendants and pilots reported hearing her whisper in their ears, screaming for help over the intercom. That's different from... Whispering. Well, I like this. Oh, I, I like that she was polite. There. Yeah, there's two things. I like that she was polite enough to whisper into the ear, but scream into the intercom. It's polite. As well as causing mechanical issues on the plane. Not polite. Not only is Casper still reporting for work, but she's also wreaking <laughs> havoc. Could it be a revenge plot? The flight itself is known as 
the scare boots. <laughs> it's spelled differently on the quote. It is spelled different. <laughs> I think they made. They think they took the name of the actual flight, and then they made. I it think sound. they. I think the people who wrote this article made up the term scare bus. I think they did too. I think they're trying to pretend that it was spelled differently. But I don't know. What do you guys think? That's well. That's that. It's so. Ambiguous. Yeah, it's, it's just weird. That sounds it's like a campfire and, and, story. And one more thing too, can you imagine like the flight attendants? Like you, you know, I, I know you, right? Or we know Mike, and Mike drives home and he dies. We would be thinking about it, like, oh my god, it could become like a little bit of like a little urban legend on oh, that yeah. crew. You know, they're trapped up together. Oh, in the what sky. if her ghost came? What if back her ghost? Oh, I heard something weird. Something weird happens. If Mike was dead and his ghost was around, it wouldn't even scare me. I'd be like, be he's, I'd be like, he's fucking with me, like, <laughs> and I'm not, and I'm not giving into that. Yeah. I'm not giving that motherfucker the I satisfaction. I wouldn't be able to close doors for the rest of my life because he'd always be there on the other side of it trying to scare me. I'd be like, ha ha, gotcha. Gotcha. Lauren, you want to read I'm Cold? You're so cold, keep your ass in mind. <laughs> Let's see. I found two stories with striking similarities, which makes me think that this is purely myth. Or... For the hardcore believers out there, it could be evidence of similar phenomenon happening on airplanes. Both of these stories sexy occurred. Phenomenon. <laughs> sexy phenomenon. Both of these stories occurred on a Virgin Atlantic flight. Se- the sexiest airlines. Yeah. In the well, damn it, you you got me thinking <laughs> about it. In the first got her all story, rolled up. Yeah. In the first story, there was an old lady wandering around the plane and complaining that she was cold. The flight attendants told her, uh, found her, and took they her said, to the sit th- down, you old bitch. <laughs> <laughs> Dirty old skirt. <laughs> Dirty old broad. Uh, took her to the crew rest area to sleep. She gave her, gave them her name, and they looked her up on the passenger manifest. They found her last name and went to the seat noted on the report. The flight attendants found a man, who was her son, and told them what happened. The man turned pale and said that his mother was indeed on the plane, but she was in a coffin in the cargo area. Ooh. The man showed them a photo of his mother, and it was the same woman who was seen wandering the aisle. The old woman was never seen again. I'm cold. Get back to your coffin, Mom. Get your ass back in the coffin. In a similar story, there was an old man standing in the aisle of a plane by the cabin door. When the flight attendant asked him if he needed anything, he told her to tell his wife, It's okay. The flight attendant got the wife's name and went to the woman's seat. After delivering the message, the wife showed the flight attendant a picture of the man. Once his identity was confirmed, the wife said that her husband recently passed and his body was being transported on the plane. I mean, I can see that. So... Let's, I can see it. Let's juxtapose these two ghosts. Don't don't use that word. <laughs> not not haphazardly like that. So we got this old <laughs> bitch that's complaining about being cold, thankless, fucking thankless, and then this dude. Well, it's like, probably really cold hey, in the cargo chill. area. Yeah, but at least he was cool about it. Yeah, he's like, yeah, it's fine. It's it's okay. Don't worry about I, uh, it. I'm I good. I'm, I died having to pee, so now I constantly have the feeling of having to pee, even yeah. though well, I can't. I mean, some people are just naturally more complainers than Some people than are others. just fucking thankless. I bet his mom was a bitch. Yeah. <laughs> I bet I bet she complained about everything. Yeah, she was one of those broads that like looked over people's fences. <laughs> <and> <laughs> I just keep calling her broad. Like, they came over and told the guy what happened. He's like, what'd she say? And it's like, she said that she was cold. He's like, skirt. that sounds fucking right. Susie Q over here bitching <laughs> and moaning. Buried her in a sweater and everything, and she's still bitching about being cold. A couple of dames cold. just yapping their <laughs> flaps. 
So uh, here's 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 one that we found uh, shortly after we recorded our last episode that oh, I, I wanted we to talk did about. No, 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 we, we talked just talked about, about it. it? Yeah. I oh. thought we did it because it was like two weeks ago. That's yeah, funny. I think I think we found it right after. Right after we recorded the last one, uh, Mel's Hole is a supernatural infinite pit that revives animals from the dead and remains a mystery. All right, let's do it. <laughs> Wait, I thought it killed the animals. It does both. It does both. You'll see. It's a multifunctional hole. You'll see, Mike. Right. It's Mel's hole. It's you can't put it in a box. Yeah. It reverses the polarity of the life stream in people and animals. Uh, yeah, so many weird things happen in the Pacific Northwest that, comparatively, a mysterious hole in the ground seems pretty innocuous at first. Next to numerous Bigfoot sightings and miles of giant mushrooms, the phenomenon of Mel's Hole seems pretty straightforward until you realize that it also happens to be a bottomless pit that brings animals back from the dead. Mel's Hole is one of the most mysterious places in the state of Washington. The mystery of Mel's Hole all started with an interview on Coast to Coast AM radio when a caller identifying himself as Mel Waters claimed that he found a real-life bottomless pit on his property. Oh, okay. So, uh, though Mel Waters, if he ever existed at all, is credited with having brought attention to the pit, the legend itself began long before he came around. Local residents, authorities, and indigenous tribes knew of the hole for decades before Waters bought his property. So he wasn't the first one to bring this up. As the story goes, the pit was about a nine nine feet in diameter with walls constructed out of hand-placed bricks stretching 15 feet down before transitioning into dirt and darkness. Known uh, popularly as Devil's Hole, the locals all agreed there was something rather unsettling about the hole's existence. But no one cared, nor wanted to think too hard about what that something might be. Uh, Manistache Ridge Ridge residents instead used the hole as a garbage dump and decided not to question the eerie fact that the pit never appeared to fill up. Right? Yeah, we, you know, we find a magical hole. Let's just throw our trash into it. Yeah, they're like, man, we've been dumping stuff down here. We don't even hear it For hit. Years. <laughs> man, this is great. You guys are gonna come take the hole, right? <laughs> this is this is this is why I take my trash. If it's not bottomless, Mel's hole is at least eighty thousand feet deep. That's, That's pretty good. Pretty according deep. to Waters' interview with <laughs> Coast to Coast AM host Art Bell, once Waters realized that the hole wasn't showing any signs of filling up, he decided to test it. His plan was to bring thousands of feet of fishing line and a sturdy fishing rod out to the hole, add weight to the fishing line, and then measure how far down it went before hitting the bottom. By the end of his test, Waters got more than he bargained for. The hole had no bottom, and if a bottom does exist, it's deep enough that the weighted line failed to go slack after 80,000 feet. Jesus, he brought 80,000 feet of fishing (laughs) line? Yeah. (laughs) A little bit of overkill, right? How much does that fucking cost? He had a lot of confidence in that hole. I don't know. I mean... It can't well, be that well, he much. probably just had like I mean, a fishing huge... line's pretty cheap. Yeah, he probably no, he probably Still just had a huge roll. Feet. Um, yeah, huge I imagine roll. they they probably do like in bulk have spools that big. That big. I mean, a huge those big like in, like those big commercial ships like the, the not even the, even the smaller ones. Yeah, like, I don't know about eight thousand. Like, have you ever feet? seen like a big spool of paper? But like, they probably have several thousand feet. Eight thousand seems to be a lot. Seems seems to be quite a bit. Be quite a bit. A also, bit feels like an arbitrary number. <laughs> yeah. Like, well, I mean, it never. It, I mean, it might go way further than that. Like, so. Not a hundred thousand, but eighty thousand feels about right. I mean, you figure you're not going to use eighty thousand when you're buying fishing line <laughs> yeah. to measure a bottomless hole. You figure it's going to get there within ten thousand feet. 
course. That's like the standard <laughs> see, this thought. This is why. This is see. This is why he wastes his money. He wasn't thinking of the imperative well, maybe, there, which is maybe bottomless. He bought ten thousand feet, then had to end up going to get more. Yeah, because you can buy eight more rolls easily. Or maybe yeah. they had like a fucking sale. Buy one roll, get eight, eight free. Seven thousand nine hundred ninety-nine free. Seventy-nine thousand nine hundred. Uh, animals are terrified of the hole and refuse to go near it. People who have been brave enough to approach the pit all notice something peculiar about the area's wildlife, or more aptly, the lack thereof. Animals obviously hated the hole and would do their best to stay far away from it as possible. Waters even reported that his own dogs refused to approach the hole. When he tried to bring them closer to it, they dug their paws into the ground in protest. Other visitors even took note of the fact that birds avoided flying directly over it and no other small animals ever appeared near it. According to various reports, the only signs of wildlife were piles of bones strewn around the mouth of the pit. All right. That's a good sign. That's always a good sign. Uh, After Waters allegedly lowered 80,000 feet of fishing line into the hole on his property to try to locate the bottom, he suspected that there might be something more sinister about the hole than its infinite depth. Waters began performing a variety of other tests in an attempt to better understand the seemingly endless pit. By the way, that is deeper than the Challenger Deep. Yeah. So, so what is the Challenger Deep? That's the the a pit the bottom of the Mariana Trench. So that's okay, so it's deeper than that. Than the deepest point known on Earth. Okay. Well, so now this is the deepest point known on Earth. No. So Waters began performing a variety of other tests. Uh when he yelled directly into the pit, he heard silence instead of an echo. And if he brought a handheld radio near the hole, it would play music that sounded decades out of date. Further tests were conducted at a location known as the Second Devil's Hole, a pit in Nevada believed to have properties identical to those of the Washington Hole. When a bucket of ice was lowered about 1,500 feet down into the hole, the ice had changed by the time it was brought back up. It felt inexplicably warm, seemed to dry out the air near it, and even became flammable. Okay. Wow. Mel's Hole is believed to have the power to bring dead animals back to life. Mel Waters' interview with Art Bell on Coast to Coast AM brought the hole into public consciousness, and one of the stories he told during the call was absolutely chilling. According to Mel, locals have used the hole to get rid of anything from old equipment to dead cattle, but apparently throwing something down the hole didn't guarantee that it would stay there. During the interview, Mel claimed that when one of his neighbor's dogs passed away, his neighbor brought the dog to the hole to get rid of it. The neighbor then allegedly told Mel that after he'd done so, he later saw his dog running in the forest, alive and well, and still wearing the collar that had been around his neck when the body had been brought to the hole. So that's creepy. Pet cemetery vibes. Let's just yeah. start putting people in there and see what happens. Just dead people or live people? Both. Both. Yeah. <laughs> you, know, yeah. you know, vagrants. Yeah. yeah who's going to volunteer to go to the, the bottom? The bums! <laughs> <laughs> Throw a bum down there. You give a, bu- <laughs> you give a bum five bucks, he'll do almost anything. Yeah. I mean, just jump down there, and there, I swear to God, there's money or meth down there. There's like, there's, there's, there's some fucking strychnine. You can sip on it. It's down there. Uh, the hole is believed to be haunted by a nameless, <laughs> unexplainable creature. I like how it built up to this. Yeah. <laughs> One of the most skin-crawling stories about Mel's Hole details the fate of a sheep that Mel Waters claims to have lowered into the pit as one of the many experiments he conducted. The sheep, like Mel's dogs and other local animals, was absolutely terrified of the pit, and Mel had to tranquilize it in order to get it close enough to the mouth of the hole. Curious, after hearing about the strange fate of the bucket of ice that apparently became warm and flammable after being lowered into a similar hole, Mel decided to do the same thing with the sheep. What happened to the sheep, though, was even stranger. What a dick. When Mel hoisted the sheep back up out of the hole, it was dead, and it appeared to have been cooked from the inside. Even stranger 
was that something appeared to be moving inside of it. And when it was cut open, Mel saw something that he described as resembling a fetal seal with human eyes staring back at him. Nope. He immediately threw the creature back into the hole. That's yep. a good call. Good call. <laughs> when he told the story to curious neighbors, some said that they too had seen a similar creature around the hole before. Whatever it is, it may be the only thing that could get in and out of Mel's hole. Crazy. <laughs> 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 he, he slipped that in right there. He <clears throat> slipped it in. Mel claims that the government bought his property to guard the hole. The alleged interaction between Mel Waters and the U.S. government, if true, means that Mel's hole is more important than even Mel himself realized. According to Mel's story, government agents attempted to prevent him from entering his own property, claiming that a plane had crashed there. When he refused to believe their story, they abruptly switched tax and offered to lease his land from him for for $250,000 on one condition. If he accepted, he would have to leave the country. Mel, being dire and straits at the time, accepted. He then moved to Australia and didn't return for several years. When he did, government agents insisted that they had bought his land. Locals then informed Mel that the area around the pit had been guarded by black vans and helicopters since he left. That's cool. So let's see. It said uh, Mel Waters might not even be real. We know that because it's just based on an interview. Yeah. Uh, Mel's hole is geologically impossible. And yeah, of course, we've already established that Mel's hole is geologically impossible. Uh, when Mel revealed that he lowered at least 80,000 feet of fishing line into the hole in order to test its depth, Powell realized that the story was much stranger than they thought. A hole that deep would not be physically possible. Based on Powell's geological expertise, this could only mean that Mel Waters designed a spectacular hoax or that among the many mysteries presented by Mel's hole is a localized ge- geographical anomaly. Well, I mean, there's some weird geographical anomalies out there that have been documented. Yeah, and, well, I mean, this could just be, like, some sort of, like, portal to a different dimension, too. You know, the hole might only be, you know, 100 feet deep, but then, you know, the portal's down there. Yeah, probably keeps opens going. onto that guy's land on his ranch. Yeah, that's why, like, like, weird creatures keep coming out because Mel throws a sheep down there. And it, it turns gets all weird some, when it goes through the portal. Yeah. Yeah. It's all creepy when it goes through the portal. Maybe it combines with another thing. And then molests his wife. And then molests his wife hard because she's a hottie. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> she's got those ankles. Those thick ankles. It's like Karen Pence. <laughs> oh. oh. Love Karen Pence. She's a gorgeous woman. A potato True with heart. a wig on. <laughs> so, yeah, Mel's Hole. You can check that out in the show notes. Right now we're going to take a break and then come back with our feature segment talking about the many mysteries of... Edward William Shakespeare. Yeah. Is it Edward? No, it's just William. Welcome back. Okay, howdy who? Now we're talking about Shakespeare and the mysteries of his life and his death. This is an interesting thing uh, that Lauren brought up to all of us the other day. Uh, uh, 
I, I, and I've often heard this, but I've just never like like sunk any any like thought into it at all, Ever. or like yeah, any time or effort that uh, yeah. Shakespeare I heard isn't he... a real person, or didn't, or is a real person and didn't actually write all of the great works yeah, of Shakespeare. Yeah, we've heard it, or heard that he was a group of writers that all wrote under the the name of Shakespeare. I've heard that one before. Yeah, there's a bunch of but, different theories about but it. But it's interesting now what we're what we're finding now. Bit yeah, more, there's a little there, bit more evidence. There's some more interesting stuff. Just to get a general background, uh, the Shakespeare authorship question is the argument that someone other than William Shakespeare of Stratford upon Avon wrote the works attributed to him. Anti Stratfordans, a collective term for adherents of the various alternative authorship theories, believe that Shakespeare of Stratford was a front to shield the identity of the real author or authors who, for some reason, did not want or could not accept public credit. Although the idea has attracted much public interest, all but a few Shakespeare scholars and literary historians consider it a fringe belief and for the most part acknowledge it only to rebut or disparage the claims. Shakespeare's authorship was first questioned in the middle of the 19th century, so this is like several hundred years Mm. after he died, Mm. uh, when adulation of Shakespeare as the greatest writer of all time had become widespread. When did he die? What year? It was like... Uh, 1601, I believe. Yeah, I believe the very beginning of... The year he died? I think it was... 1616. 1616, okay. I knew it was in the 1600s. I thought it was in the 1600s. Uh... Yeah, Shakespeare's biography, particularly his humble origins and obscure life, seemed incompatible with his poetic eminence and his reputation for genius, arousing suspicion that Shakespeare uh, might not have written the works attributed to him. The controversy has since spawned a vast body of literature, and more than more than 80 authorship candidates have been proposed, the most popular being Sir Francis Bacon, Edward de Vere, 17th Earl of Oxford, Christopher Marlowe, and William Stanley, 6th Earl of Derby. Supporters of alternative candidates argue that theirs is the more plausible author and that William Shakespeare lacked the education, aristocratic sensibility, or familiarity with the royal court that they say is an apparent in the works. Those Shakespeare scholars who have responded to such claims hold the biographical uh, interpretations of literature are unreliable and in attributing authorship, and that the convergence of documentary evidence used to support Shakespeare's authorship, title pages, testimony by other contemporary poets and historians, and official records is the same used for all other authorial attributions in the era. No such direct evidence exists for any other candidate. So, but, but I mean, there is like some, some, uh, you know, there's evidence. There's little, just not little holes. Like there's not hard. There's not hard evidence either way. Either honestly, way. Yeah. that's yeah, the yeah. weirdest part about it. I like the idea that he was actually Francis Bacon, like the same guy that fought for the scientific method was also Shakespeare. Yeah, kind of makes sense. Bit- he was also a wizard too. He yeah. was a secret wizard. We all know that. that yeah. You know what? That actually makes sense because they love like numerology and shit. And then there was Shakespeare with his. Uh, Iambic pentameter. Iambic pentameter, and yeah. he, he pretty much popularized that. Well, and Francis Bacon also made that, uh, made the uh, num- numerology uh, cipher. Oh, he de- yeah. He developed the Bacononian cipher, which has been attributed to Shakespeare's works. Mm, okay. So there's a lot of things that tie together. Interesting. Tell us more. Yeah, let's go. Let's see, let's see go some deeper, alternative deeper. candidates. We see France, Francis Bacon, Edward de Vere, Christopher Marlowe. I've heard that one. William that one Stanley. Yeah. Those are the, the main ones. Oh, uh, so Sir Francis Bacon's the leading candidate. 
Mm-hmm. According to Wikipedia. Wiki wiki. Yeah, we well we have let's see. This one's uh uh this article is about uh what is it? The uh Edward De Vere. Okay. There are websites and even whole societies devoted to the proposition that the Earl of Oxford wrote Shakespeare's plays. And among those who believe that Shakespeare didn't write his own plays, De Vere can be said to be the leading contender to unseat the bard. But he's far from the only one. There have been dozens of candidates proposed and thousands of books and articles written on the so-called Shakespeare authorship question. Now, I do remember when I was going to college, some girl tried to write like an like a academic paper saying that, like, some woman wrote all of Shakespeare's oh, work. That, I heard that before, too. And the teacher threw it out. <laughs> the teacher was like, nah, do it again. Oh, wow. Because like, there was no like there was no real evidence or whatever. It was oh. just kind of grasping at straws. Yeah. She was like, oh, it would be cool if he was that. Yeah. You had to back it up. It almost seems like it's the most realistic because that, <laughs> like, the Shakespeare pen name kind of passed from person to person. I mean, it could be, but but it had to be an agreement among them. Yeah, you know? it would have to be because so, it, be like it, it would have agreement. to be so secret because this guy, you gotta think he's like the most famous guy. Yeah, and he was famous before he died. It wasn't like he was he was, he was famous posthumously. Well, did Devere and like Francis Bacon travel in the same circles or anything like that? Oh, I mean, they were they were, they, lower, they were like they, they were, were higher elite. class than Shakespeare. They were elite. Shakespeare was just like a guy. Yeah, he was yeah. a regular dude. I mean, yeah. Francis Bacon was like yeah. I just mean Francis or... Bacon and Devere. Just yeah, they were like, both they were both royalty. Yeah. So they could have had a little pack. Francis of Bacon was a knight, and you could be like, oh, why don't you why don't you submit your uh, sonnets or something under this pen name that I use? Yeah. Mm. I mean, it had to be a, definitely an agreement because it never got out. It never was written about, so obviously it had to be like a secret. But it's interesting. So, other than the plays themselves, we have uh, precious little documentary evidence about Shakespeare. Among the meager items, a few signatures, a record of his marriage to Anne Hathaway, a strange three-page will, and some papers detailing business transactions totally unrelated to writing, and just two portraits. No record of his schooling, not one single manuscript in his own hand of even a fragment of his amazing body of work. So, like, nothing, they, they, have, they have none of his works are written in his own handwriting. They don't have anything. They don't have a journal. But see, that's still... They don't that, have letters. But see, that makes it sound weirder. That makes it no, 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 That makes it sound weirder than that a guy like Christopher Marlowe or Francis Bacon was writing as him. Because why wouldn't he still have the original documents? That... that no, well, no. that we we kind of get into that later. There's theories. That's interesting. About that. Well, one Illuminati thing that, much? That, no, that, one thing that made me think about that is like, what if he was just illiterate and just hired some and just uh, dictated? I mean, that, oh, that would if, be if you want to go with the idea lot of that Shakespeare was an actual guy that yeah. came I mean, Steve, from Stephen Hawking nothing. writes whole books with his eyeball. Yeah. Yeah, but that's now. Yeah. <laughs> we also know pay, that exists for real. He would have to yeah. pay a scribe back in 1590, 1590 to sit for hours while he, while he recites his sonnets. That's pretty pretty wild. It would be it would have been interesting. Yeah, he oh. was a com- he was supposedly a commoner well, too. It's the so only he was a commoner. I can afford that. He would have coming from a commoner's upbringing, he would have more than likely been illiterate. So the only real no, explanation well, well, to, would well, be well, to that. Be, well, to be fair, there's a couple of I, I, I didn't find one. I read a story about this guy. There's a couple of people that weren't formally educated. They weren't extremely wealthy, but there was one philosopher. I, I need to look him up and find his name. He was really well respected. He wrote like one of these books that were like considered to be one of the first books of early like critical thinking. And he wasn't. He had never gone to university. He was a commoner. He just read the shit out of all the books that were available to him. Like he just spent hours and hours studying him, studying his whole life on his own. He just was motivated. He just didn't have the right 
money and connections to, to, to attend university, and he became like a, one of the most highly res- respected minds of the er- of the era. Yeah, but he had letters and certificates. No, no, but no, 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 but that's what's weirder about this. Yeah. It's, what's weird about it is even if Francis Bacon wrote all those. Because he wasn't famous after his death either. He that's was famous he, while he was that's alive. That's what I said. Yeah. He wasn't Supposedly. famous posthumously. So he would have had to attend a ball. He would have had to appear somewhere, or people would have written about the fact that you never see him well, anywhere. Well, he got a giant, brand new style theater made for his own stuff while he was alive. While he was alive, with he, money from the crowd. So, so, no, so what I'm, so that's what I'm saying. Now, to me, that being compared to what we were reading now makes it sound not necessarily more sinister. But more strange and more interesting, not just like a typical case of Francis just decided to so, write an under a pin name. So the it question, de- like a deeper, weirder path that, that it could go down. So, so the major questions are like, how could an unraveled, poorly schooled commoner Time have traveler. written so wildly Calling on it. topics about which he would have had no firsthand knowledge? Court intrigue, the legal process, life in other countries, even stories and information that had never been translated to English. I'm gonna say time travel or transdimensional being. It's gnomes. Gnomes. He was a gnome. So here's some Giant famous gnome. people that have questioned uh, Shakespeare's legitimacy. Uh, Mark Twain. That's interesting. One of the most famous doubters, author of the es- essay, Is Shakespeare Dead? wrote, So far as anybody actually knows and can prove, Shakespeare of Stafford on Avon never wrote a play in his life. Yeah. Henry James said, I am sort of haunted by the conviction that the divine William is the biggest and most successful fraud ever practiced on the pa- uh, patient world. Sigmund Freud, uh, he wrote, uh, well, he took a lot of his stuff from Hamlet. Uh, He said, it is undeniably painful to all of this, he said, that even now we do not know who the author of the comedies, tragedies, and sonnets of Shakespeare are. So all of these famous people like did not believe that Shakespeare was. But a... Again, these were two hundred years later. All these people lived two hundred, three hundred years later. It's like I'm curious about that gap like why why didn't anybody in the era who who said Shakespeare attended these events and ten, you know he, he put on these plays as a, as a living being they were silenced Mal- Malcolm like, X all these people there Ma- we have so many di- we have so many nobody m- mentioned it in a fucking diary once like yeah hey, I saw Shakespeare he today. looked like like somebody would have written about it well even like a lot of the paintings that are supposed to be Shakespeare people are like like some 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 uh, scholars are like, yeah, I don't think that's actually him. I think that's actually this guy. Well, I'll tell you one thing that could be believable. I mean, if it was for some strange reason, like Francis Bacon or, 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 or these people that didn't want it to be known as that author, because check it out. What if they used him at, what if they used a, a, a stand-in? That, that did exist. Yeah. You know, use a person just to stand there and, and wave and say, that's Shakespeare That's now. Shakespeare right there. And then he goes back to his village. Nobody's going to follow that up. Because, for instance, maybe he started it and he was writing. This could be an w- angle. And he was, because he was had a serious work on the scientific theory or philosophy, it was embarrassing to write pop fiction or fiction. Yeah. So maybe he it wrote was. like that for a year. It was. So maybe he wrote like that for five or six years. All of a sudden, Shakespeare exploded. Now he can't, even though Shakespeare's famous now, He's still Francis Bacon, or he's still Christopher Marlowe. So he can't, or whoever. he can't step into that role and say, oh, it was me all along. So he might, I mean, I'm curious. That I'm could rich, have been, I can hire I'm a rich, I can in. hire a yeah. person just to stand in and show up at the, at the, at the, at the events. That could have, that could have happened. Yeah, it's, Ma- it's interesting. Malcolm X uh, talked about if Shakespeare existed, he was the top poet around. Uh, he said he was around during the time that, uh, of King James and the King James Bible. If he existed, why didn't King James use him? If he's the most famous guy, you know, King, King, the King James Bible was yeah. written by like, uh, you know, like famous poets of the time. Yeah, it was to make it sound read. good. 
Well, it, the, the importance of the King James Bible was one of the first times that the Bible was translated from Latin to common English. Yes. Well, Shakespeare's work Which was also what satirical. Shakespeare did also. Well, Shakespeare's work was also satirical. It's possible. It, I mean, it might have not. He might not. Be, he, he was a little bit scandalous. His yeah. writing style. I don't yeah. think he would have been chosen. Would you trust him? Like, hey, we're gonna write this religious was, text. At the time, he was he was very he was reaching with 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 what he was. The, yeah, the I mean, matters he was I discussing. Mean, assuming that Shakespeare really really existed, existed they, they, they might have skipped him like, over. He's either too scandalous, or we offered, and he just was like, no, I don't want to do that. I shit. would say too scandalous. Too scandalous. Because because if he offered, they probably interpret what's being said in like in a lot of moments especially in like the comedies and shit he's talking about some filthy fucking filthy shit. shit yeah and the people back then would have understood at least at least they, they liked it a little bit better and even the commoners obviously they couldn't yeah, read was, very well but they could they could they could, they could attend the play yeah. they could they attended the place and understood it in the round oh that's why you know that's why he was so jokes. famous yeah. that's why he made it into plays yeah, so that everybody could enjoy it yeah, they can understand that. Uh, so here's a Edward De Vere. Since the early 1920s, the leading alternative authorship candidate has been Edward De Vere. Uh, Oxford followed his grandfather and father in sponsoring companies of actors, and he had patronized a company of musicians and one-time tumblers. Oxford was an important courtier poet. Praises such as a playwright by George Puddleham and Francis Mears, who included him in a list of the best for comedy amongst us. Examples of his poetry, but none of his the uh, theatrical works survive. Oxford was noted for his liter uh, literary and theatrical patronage between 1564 and 1599. Right in Shakespeare's time period. But it's less real for me because he was a court poet. He, he, he wrote he comedies. He would have He would have just, it would have been a big story, but he would have accepted the mantle. Yeah. If he could prove I, it, no. See, I don't know. I don't about believe that. it. I, 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 think I think it would be a more serious writer or a more serious philosopher that wouldn't be willing to. I think. Well, no. I think this maybe he would have been trouble, uh, gotten in trouble, you know, because because of his station. Because you know the the stuff that Shakespeare wrote was kind was of considered kind of, smut at the yeah, time. Yeah. yeah. It definitely uh, wasn't like nice flowery court poetry. It wasn't. But at this point, where Shakespeare, had so this is like a juggernaut. It, this why, is okay. Why would you this is exactly your court. Oh, my court-appointed poet position, but I could be the most famous writer on the planet. This right is now? exactly the same as, as Garth Brooks. You know, he's he he became real famous in the country world, right? He was yeah. number one in the country world. He was like, you know what? I want to write some pop rock, but I can't get away with that. So he invented a persona named Chris Gaines. Yeah, but everybody knew that he invented that persona. And I also, Chris Gaines. Cause I didn't know. John, I didn't know that until three weeks but John, ago. Guess what? But that's the difference between he's equating him on SNL. No, but, but but he's dropping down. I didn't get Chris, it. Chris Gaines. Chris Gaines had become the most famous pop star in the world. I guarantee you, Garth Brooks would have been like, "Yep, that's me." How it's are we talking about Garth Brooks and Shakespeare in the same fucking conversation? He is modern the most heard thunder, thunder rolls in the lightning oh my, strikes. Oh I regret Lauren? even bringing this up. <laughs> uh, it's, uh, you know, it's possible people at the time did know. So yeah, so people that uh, believe an open secret. people that believe Oxford was the uh, was the bard, uh, they believe certain literary allusions indicate that Oxford was one of the most prominent suppressed, anonymous and/or pseudonymous writers of the day. They also note Oxford's connections to the London theater and the contemporary playwrights of Shakespeare's day, his family connections, including the patrons of Shakespeare's first folio, his relationships with Queen Elizabeth I and Shakespeare's patron. Uh, the Earl of Southampton, his knowledge of court life, his private tutors in education, and his wide-ranging travels through the locations of Shakespeare's plays in Fl France and Italy. 
Okay. The case for Oxford's authorship is also based on perceived similarities between Oxford's biography and events in Shakespeare's plays, sonnets, and longer poems. Perceived parallels of language, idiom, and thought between Oxford's letters and the Shakespearean canon, and the discovery of numerous marked passages in Oxford's Bible that appear in some form in Shakespeare's so, plays. So, so his personal Bible. Yeah, he was known for using pseudonyms. He had connections in the theater. Uh, his his own personal Bible had uh, passages marked that appeared in Shakespeare's plays. I mean, it's interesting. It's but a pretty I just, good candidate. It is weird. He's, he's pretty good. But I just I just don't understand the motivation behind never. It, revealing I think it would be hard to understand the motivation but he was, because he of, was a, but I could get it because we don't really understand anybody's situation he back then. He was a patron of Shakespeare's. He was a no, patron he was, of a lot of different playwrights. Well, he was a, he was a patron of of the theater, and, but he was also he was also good friends of one of, of uh, Shakespeare's major patrons. I mean, what if he queen. was just a Shakespeare fanboy? Could be. Like, what if he's like, oh wow, yeah. he mentioned uh, this in the Bible. I'm gonna go look at it and like think about it. Yeah, like, looking you know. at it from that direction, that's absolutely. It could, possible. It could be that. It could go know. either way. To me, I think it would be. It would have to be for someone never to ever mention that that was me on your deathbed to even say. It was me, bitch. Yeah. Because it wasn't like Shakespeare was just a good writer. He was, like, in the time. He was, like, the Michael Jackson <laughs> of No, he poetry. was. Like, that's... He that's was a god really... in his life. So I just can't imagine why a person would go all the way to their deathbed and never reveal. It, it would be so weird. It would be like you being Adele and you're, or, or fucking... Who's bigger than Adele? Lady Gaga. What if Lady Gaga always wore a mask or some shit? Yeah. Like, Which turns out it was me, guys. You would yeah, eventually yeah. have to, you know, I can't imagine the motivation of a guy like him. Well, I mean, it might have been it might have been just this, like, fun thing that rich guys did. That they just wrote under the pen name of William, Sha- William Shakespeare. But not that good. Not that, not that evenly good. Not that good on every poem. Everything that he put out was such an e- such a equal level of ability and skill. It wasn't like you had, like, uh, a really good poem and a shit poem. They also say that the dedication to the sonnets published in 1609 implies that the author was dead prior to their publication and that uh, 1604, the year of Oxford's death, was the year regular publication of newly corrected and augmented Shakespeare plays stopped. Consequently, they date most of the plays earlier than the standard chronology and say that the plays which show evidence of Revision and collaboration were left unfinished by Oxford and completed by other playwrights after his death. So this here's uh, the thing that Lauren found the other day. This is the guy. This is this is basically the uh, this the strat. What is it? The strat Stratford, Stratford heist? heist. Yeah. Mm-hmm. What the fuck is the guy's name? God, I can never uh, remember. The most famous writer in history never wrote a letter to anyone, nor left a play, a poem, a page, a line in his own hand. There's zero paper trail concerning his writing career or personal life in London, yet you're holding in your hands an astounding message, apparently from the great man himself, promising the truth and pointing to where it's hidden. You look up from the grave and just feet away, you see it. The high altar stone bearing the stigmata crosses that signify Christ's wounds. Instantly an invisible choir punctuates the atmosphere with the rousing opening of Handel's Hallelujah Chorus and you know in your gut you found the holy grail of literature. So this is, this guy feels like he has found Shakespeare's secret stash inside of an altar in a church. It w- it was it, that's Shakespeare's tomb, supposed like that's yeah, his official. Yeah, that's where tomb. he was supposed to be. Well, buried. no, no, the the tomb that that they're that they're looking at that this is not Shakespeare's tomb. This is a this is a saint's altar. This is the altar of a church. 
Yeah, it's it's it's, it's the where church. his body's supposed to be. Yeah, it's supposed to be. Where his body isn't in the in the it's altar, not in is the it? Altar, but that's the church. He, it's where in he the was church. Buried. That's yeah. the church that he was buried, supposedly. But, yeah. Now, assuming this guy isn't just full of total bullshit and he's just lying about everything, this guy who made this video, it's yeah. really intriguing what he's done. He says, this story is essentially true, except the part about opening the grave. That's never going to happen. But the music was real, I assure you. I've spent 12 years researching the suspicious lack of evidence in the poet's life, and back in 2010, I discovered an intricate system of codes hidden within the text of the bard's gravestone and monument, but I needed corroboration on two fronts. First, direct access to film areas of the church not normally available to the public, and second, the opinion of a world-class uh, cryptographer. I sent my findings to the legendary Whitfield Deefy. Yeah, I don't... Not so legendary fucking, of a name. Fucking yeah. Brit. Whose co-invention of public key cryptography basically heralded the birth of secure online commerce. He read my work, met for dinner, looked me straight in the eye and said, if I were you, I'd scan that altar. <laughs> <laughs> Encouraging but radical evidence. It was certainly not on my mind at the time, but almost immediately the church granted me filming permission and the pace began to quicken. Sure enough, the missing piece of the puzzle... A puzzle not available through any book or online research revealed itself as soon as I stepped beyond the secure barrier and approached the altar. The codes predicted it, but I needed high-resolution shot for proof. It's almost invisible to the naked eye. Now, uh, in this video, he <coughs> uh, goes in depth about the codes he's talking about, and hit, like the historic value of the codes and stuff too. Yeah, and I, I will put that video in the show notes so you guys can watch. It's about. I think it's about 16 minutes. It's, yeah, it's a pretty good long. watch. Uh, the pieces tumbled precisely into place now, completing the game-changing solution I'd spent years deciphering. The original rhyming couplet is in medieval English and Latin, but translated it yields the provocative message you saw above at the start of this section. The mystery, it also predicts an extra stigmata cross on the side of the altar stone that should not be there, containing a, fi a tiny five-pointed metal star embedded in its right arm, a highly significant symbol in Renaissance alchemy. Which uh, Well, that points more towards John D. Or not John D. Uh, Francis, Francis Bacon. Bacon. Yeah. yeah, Francis Bacon was uh, dabbled in alchemy. Uh, my, my dilemma was now an excruciating mix of wild excitement balanced with extreme caution. I wanted to shout it to the world, but felt a heavily a heavy obligation to protect the discovery until its authenticity could be proven beyond a doubt. I was well aware that the establishment would not likely want this made public until they could investigate it themselves in secret. But the coded message is very specific. Stigmata crosses are always on the top surface of the altar stone. Hewn within means cut into it. So, Deefy was right. The only way to prove my hypothesis would be to scan it with radar. But how? And the security in this church is insane. And they've got CCTVs everywhere. Yeah, Heat-sensitive heat motion detectors. I mean, it's a it's a place of extreme historical There's even a chemical that they'll spray into the air if they think you're there for the wrong reason. And it will, that the traces of the chemical will last on your body for up to a year. Yeah. So it they protect the shit out of this place. So, yeah, he's basically saying that... Uh, he, the the heist would re require uh, major style planning, uh, major distraction, a radar technician, film crew, and nerves of steel. Altogether, possibly the most audacious heist in literary history. So, in the video that uh, is on this page, 
Uh, you saw the covert scanning of the high altar and the corroborating lab results. Scientific confirmation of an enormous saint's cavity, proving conclusively the validity, validity of the codes and boistering confidence that they, are, that they likely are by Shakespeare himself. What I didn't mention in the clip is that I did actually ask permission of the vicar, Martin Gorsick, to scan. I also surveyed the church congregation for their op uh, opinions. I asked the head of the Shakespeare Birthplace Trust, Stanley Wells, for support. I even went to the Bishop of Coventry, the diocese which oversees Stratford, Christopher Coxworth. It turned out yeah. <laughs> he was a Monkees fan and loved to quote their hit song, I Am a Believer, in his sermon, so I bribed him with a signed Davy Jones book I had co-authored. We got along well, and he actually called me over to join him and Rabbi Julia Nuremberg in blessing the congregation as they left Holy Trin <laughs> Trinity Church after an interdenominational service celebrating Shakespeare's birthday. Here we are outside the church enacting the Hebrew priestly blessing, or Big Crack Conum, a key component of the codes documented in the first Holy Trinity Solution book, Decoding Shakespeare. All of these names. Whitfield Diffie and Christopher Coxworth. Christopher Coxworth. Whitfield Diffie. Uh, that kumbaya, kumbaya moment didn't last long, however, as soon I asked him to authorize the church to scan the altar in full view of the world's media to eliminate suspicion of vested interest. His blessings withered. <laughs> I reminded him that if even a single page were found, it would be, price, it would be a priceless treasure whose promotional and financial value to the church would be incalculable. The world would beat a path to the door to gaze and wonder. It'd be King Tut and tights. Cute. Uh, Stratford, however, is the hub of a multi-billion dollar global Shakespeare industry. Wow. Yep. If something were found that challenged their official story, the ramifications for the townspeople, local tourism, academic reputations, even English lit courses worldwide would be seismic. Gorick sidestepped. The congregants balked. Wells punted and Coxworth stonewalled. Nobody wanted the boat rocked. So basically what it's saying is there's been so, so much information put out about Shakespeare. There's, like, such an industry behind it. There's such, like, uh, academic courses, professors that have built their entire literary careers on researching Shakespeare. Uh, that would all go right the fuck out the window. Yeah. Uh, Lauren, you want to pick up this next part? Let's see. I anticipated as much, of course. That's why I had scanned the altar before asking permission. <laughs> the chance they say yes or no outright was virtually nil. I knew most likely they'd stall, which meant they'd never trust me near the altar again. Six years' work and the historic opportunity for the world to see the first ever physical evidence from Shakespeare himself would all be gone in one fell swoop. I couldn't risk that. Once the scan results were in... We're in, though. I had the insurance I needed. Only then did I fly back to Stratford to find out for sure whether they'd do the right thing or not. Had they said yes, I would have told them I'd already done it and just give them the radar files. All I wanted was to secure the truth by documenting the scan so nothing could accidentally disappear later. Um, but the town wasn't interested in what their man had gone to great lengths to hide, encode, and pass down to us. Instead... Honoring their benefactor's wishes, they circled their wagons. The bishop promised to get back to me after taking it to a higher authority. Given his own highly elevated position, he could only mean the queen, to, the queen or God, and apparently they've both been very busy. I've been waiting for over five years for that call. 
In the meantime, I've uncovered much more material that will forever change our concept of this unparalleled genius. Hence my decision to finally go public. Book one of the Holy Trinity Solution series, Decoding Shakespeare, has just been released. Two more will follow in 2017. Um, what is not mentioned in the article, but is mentioned in the video, which is the most interesting point, part so far, is how he was able to scan the altar without letting them know. This is a pretty interesting part. This is the actual heist. Is Basically what he did was he, he got in good with the church, uh, started planning uh, special events at the church. Wrote a Shakespeare musical. Which, yeah. you know, that's kind of what he does anyway. He's into it. Yeah. You know. so he, he, he just, <laughs> he's a musician. He's obsessed yeah, he's a with Shakespeare. Music writer. He's a music writer. He writes a musical. And so what he does is like, okay. I mean, I to be fair, he probably would have written a Shakespeare musical regardless. Yeah, he pr- of, actually, you know what? He probably <laughs> it had probably it mostly already done already. Yeah. Like, he had it ready to go. But I mean, he's he, for real into this. Yeah. He's a real Shakespeare nerd. Um, so what he does is he's like, oh, I want to perform this musical here where Shakespeare is buried. They say, yes, cool. So what he does is he takes big, um, what are they called? Uh, oh, it's like a divider. Like kind a scrim? Like or? a scrim, yeah. It takes yeah. a big fucking scrim with, it says Shakespeare, and it's got like, the details of his musical and stuff, like, you know, all this promotional shit on the scrim. Normal. Puts it right in front of the fucking altar, uh-huh. and then puts the scanner behind the fucking scrim so that they're able to scan. He's got a sc- he's got a radar tech. Wow! And that's they're, one of the, they're scanning. One of the stage hands. Yeah. They're scanning when he brings the lights down for the final number. Yeah! yeah. Wow! Incredible! Genius! Brilliant! So what what he what he found though was uh, really interesting. I think I just accidentally closed it out. Oh, um, I see it here. Um, a couple weeks later, and safely back in Los Angeles without having been arrested, we finally heard back from two of the leading radar labs in America. They have both reached the same conclusion independently of one another, and the results were beyond all dispute, providing slam-dunk proof of a cavity of up to 250 times normal size. Large so, enough... So normally there's a cavity in uh, yeah, altars. Cavity. Yeah. It, it, it's got a little compartment where a saint's relic would go, and that would normally be like a piece of their bone. It's about the size of a box of matches. Yeah, or yeah. like, it's just like a piece of the saint, or like a, like a piece of, or like some of his ashes, yeah. or something like that. Or like a like a relic that he had during his yeah, life or something. It's just like a little him. cubby. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. And that's what puts the magic in this altar. Uh, I get it. That's what consecrates it. So this is 250 times the normal size. Yeah, it's about six feet long. It basically fills up the entirety of the top stone of the altar. Yeah. So, so large to- enough to hold all the missing manuscripts of the most beloved place in the world. Wow. Yeah, well, not only that, but they discovered the ca- the cavity, and there's layers of something inside the cavity. Like something is there yeah, filling it. But but not like homogenous layers like Not like thick, shelves yeah, like shelves but like shit piled up in there wow so so if if you just look he has like a little graph here is like the normal size is like this it's just like a tiny little spot they could have it what he predicted was that it would be about 40 times the normal size because it would have some stuff in it of importance. Maybe some pages or something. Pages like that. or a journal or some letters or something. Anything that could identify William Shakespeare or, you know, give some clues to his identity or lack thereof. 
actual size, 250 times the normal size. Yeah, it basically wow. fills up the entire. So he predicted that it was yeah. the cavity was going to be bigger than just a regular. Just it was like 20, Saints like cavity, 15 times bigger than what he thought. <laughs> yeah. So now, basically, he just wants like you can go to this uh, website to be or not to be dot com, and he wants people to vote. <laughs> I can't believe he got that. He's gonna yeah. petition uh, an official wow. like government petition. He probably going. got that back in 90, 1992, <laughs> like the, when he was a, like a young man. You're like, uh, I'm no, getting it. it was like twenty fifteen. No, no, I'm saying when he bought, when he bought right. that fucking donate name, it's to be or not oh, to be yeah. dot com. Yeah. I can't believe he got that. No, he got that in like nineteen ninety nine. Sitting on that. He got that before the before the dot com boom. <laughs> now well, Lauren found an interesting thing. Apparently, there's a warning also on sh- on he- his epitaph. Shakespeare penned. Hold on, I put it away. And not only uh, there's that. So if he didn't want people to go in there, he left clues that pointed towards this altar stone but he also left a warning it would have been even more interesting if it would if it had been a member of the clergy mm-hmm. so on his epitaph he had written good friend for jesus sake forbear to dig the dust enclosed here blessed be the man that spares these stones and cursed be he that moves my bones although I mean, that could have, somebody else could have written that. Somebody shit. else could have written it's that. It's kind of simplistic. It's very simple, but I mean, it's simply saying, "Don't touch my shit." Like, there's like. I I don't I don't know I don't think that's written by him or whoever hid this stuff. I think this is written simple. by someone who is trying to cover that up. Yeah. That's what I yeah. think. I think it's fat. What if what if he was like a prominent member, like a bishop, like a prominent member of the clergy? That would be another another th- reason for him to completely. He would know about all the court intrigue. Because these um, these individuals yeah, would be aware of it, they're yeah. elite. But he might that that would be a way that would be would be a position that you would never want to reveal it because it would be like a huge scandal. Yeah, yeah it would be like the marquee turned the marquee of some place writing fucking. Because aren't bishops tur- aren't bishops turned into saints when they die? Or some no. lower level saint? Not necessarily. No, I thought no. they were. I thought they were commemorated forever as like a not servant. Always, unless oh maybe not. But you have to do something could, special. But I could imagine. I mean, they're remembered. But I, you get remembered in some way. Yeah. But I can imagine. It's a pretty high position. Yeah, yeah a bishop of it's, any kind. I can I imagine mean, two steps wanting, away from the pope. That's about it. Yeah. Well, there's bishop, archbishop, and then there's the pope. And cardinal. The cardinal. Yeah. So it's like that would be interesting too. Because it, it just it just mystifies me why. Well, I I don't know. I I, I feel. Some, some, maybe, I mean, I can imagine Francis Bacon never revealing it. I feel crazy, and he mentions this in the video. I feel crazy that like there is this secret compartment in the top of this altar, and they're not checking it out. And he mentions it in the video that if there is something in the top of that altar that is not from the saint, then that altar has been desecrated, yeah, and it's the it church's holy duty to go in there and remove that and reconsecrate it. Yeah. Simple as that. So why aren't they doing it? Maybe, maybe they know something we don't know. Maybe no, that's it's like, what I'm excited maybe about. Maybe that's what it is. Maybe like every head of that church gets passed down that fucking secret. Well, that that happens. That does happen yeah. in the church. There's like it's very interesting. It's very interesting to see, especially, especially once you commingle the church into it. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of like especially secrets from and, back then and shit. Oh like, my oh god! Yeah. And, and like there are a lot of there are a lot of. Uh, I mean, there's a whole hidden world there, as we found out. 20 years ago with the, with the sexual molestation and how that was completely hidden. I'm not saying it's anything that sinister, but it's definitely... The church the, likes to keep secrets. Like to keep yeah. their secrets close to their, to, close to their heart. I, I'm intrigued by it. I would love for us to find out what the fuck yeah. is in there. You can check out all this stuff in the show notes. Uh, right now, we got to move on. I love this story, though. Thanks for bringing it to our attention. Yeah, it's great, yeah, Lauren. This is one of the, my favorite ones. It is a fun one. Uh, let's see. 
Time travel, time time travel shock revealed. This is a uh, this is for our uh, you believe in what section? Oh, you nice. believe in okay. what? 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 Time travel shock reveal. He is me. Man from 2030 meets himself 40 years in the future. Oh, so he is me. So this is <laughs> a time traveler. This is a time traveler that's from the year 2030. That's in our time now. That has now met himself from the year 2040. <laughs> All right. Okay. And it's just like a fat guy. <laughs> uh, Today we're talking with Noah, who, as you know, claims to be a time traveler from. Wait, so the original, the guy from now is the skinny guy. Yeah. Well, he's not from now. This guy, the, the skinny guy, is from the year 2030. Oh, okay. So a time traveler from the year 2030 has met with a version of himself from 40 years in the future, who was able to discuss the in to discuss the individual's life as proof of the shock reveal. Noah Novak who's declared he is from the year 2030, claims to have met a version of himself from the year 2070. Oh, they're Canadian, aren't they? Probably. As shocking evidence proved, they were both the same person. Oh, shit. Noah from 2030 explained, he showed a bunch of personal information. He said a bunch of things about what I did. He said all the sequence of events and stuff since I came back from 2017. He said everything that I did, and this is the type of stuff that someone would have to stalk me for my whole life to figure out. Obviously, it would be really hard for him to figure out all this information. This guy looks like he'd been following him since he was a little boy. I wouldn't be surprised. Yeah, that's... This yeah. guy doesn't look... <laughs> he's not no, like, a, like, a, like a child enthusiast, a young boy. Well, I mean, how, uh, how would you know about a future person's life if you're not from a further distance in the future? Oh, it's this is really confusing to me. It, the proof is unbeatable. The defenses are impregnable. <laughs> There's no way that he could have figured out all of this unless he stalked me from the very beginning. That's I believe he is me from the future. Noah from the year 2030 was incredibly curious as to how him's, him's future self was able to walk <laughs> oh God. or able to talk to him without creating a time paradox. Noah from 2070 explained that time travelers are fitted with microchips that prevent <laughs> them from saying things that cause, uh, that cause cause a disturbance in sequence of events. Wow, this is a really poorly written article. The younger Noah asks, how are you able to talk with Noah. me? <laughs> Noah from 27 replied, they inject time travelers with microchips that help prevent the person to prevent paradoxes so they don't say something out of order. Was it zap them? Yeah, I guess it gives them a little shock on their <laughs> a little nuts. Boop, a little scroop. The time traveler from 2070 added that in, in the future, cars are able to talk or to take people to destinations almost instantaneously, and that a war is being waged using satellites. Oh, so that I do believe. Drone strikes? Uh, he stated, cars are very fast. You program them and say where you want to go, and it takes you there almost instantaneously. There's a war being waged using space, being fought on Earth using satellites. Okay. okay. Noah from 2030 stated that during his time period, there are rumblings of the war, but it has not yet escalated into an all-out conflict. He claimed, yeah, I heard about that. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, I remember that happening. Yeah, I remember that shit. I've heard of that. Like, in the future, people are talking about how the tensions are rising, and this could actually happen. This shit's great. Noah from 2070 was unable to disclose what countries are involved in the space war. He stated that if he disclosed the information, it could lead to a time paradox. Well, also, it'll shock my nuts. Also, it's very convenient not to say. Uh, the time traveler's refusal, refusal to disclose further details could confirm that if he has a microchip inside himself to prevent, dis prevent disturbances in time, it is extremely effective. <laughs> the older Noah said, I don't think I should because I don't want to throw it in a paradox where it changes events, good or bad. 
Great. That's what? it. Yeah. Can you believe in what? Can we just put <laughs> this guy in like a fucking? Can we scan this dude's body for like a big ass cavity? I don't know. Why would they make? Why would time travelers from the future be so fat? Also, why would really? this guy in particular just, be sent back in what time? The, the well, yeah, fashion. No, the fashion. Here's the thing. If I went to tra- travel back in time to meet myself from the past, I would at least make sure that I looked good before I met myself. You know how critical I am of myself? You don't want to let yourself down. No, yeah, let I, yourself would, down. I would be like, well, if I look like that in the future, I'm just done right now. And then I'd die. Like, well, that- you, well you got a chip in you, though. What I like is that they're both time travelers. It's not just one guy. Yeah, it's an interesting coincidence. That, like, like I don't so even where's know. where's the guy from this year? Where yeah. Is he? Where's he at? They paradoxed He's him a little accident. kid, I guess. I guess these are all aliases. So, so there's like a little kid version of this guy now. And then there's him from 2030. He's also in 2017. Holy and then the guy shit. from 2070 is also in 2017. What's, what's the guy from 2070 doing? Like, there's Wait. a war going on. Yeah, what's Why a, are you dicking around in 2015? Why the fuck he, did he, he come back the same year? He, he, was, he was sent back to kill Sarah Connor. Uh, the guy from 2030 failed. Now they had to send the fat guy to do the job. Fair enough. Mike's, Mike's experiencing Mike's a time paradox. Yeah, Mike's a cavity is opening up inside of him. All right, that's the show, guys. Thank you so much for listening. We Listen to so our much. other podcast, SomethingPlanet.com. Gets crazy there. Uh, give us a review on iTunes. Ooh, hit please. us up on Facebook. Uh, leave us a review on iTunes. Uh, hit us up on Facebook. Anything you want us to talk about or check us out at MysteriousnessesPC at gmail.com. Hopefully Lauren's still checking that email address. <laughs> I do. <laughs> I can tell she's lying from yeah. her face. I will now. <laughs> I will right now. <laughs> All right, thank you guys so much for listening, uh, and we will be back as soon as we get another topic. All right. Thanks, Ciao. guys. Ciao. Good night. Scooby-Doo.